0: know when i was a kid you know my dad was the one who introduced me to ramdas and oh really yeah and we went to see him and i think reagan was the president at that time and you know ramdas was sharing that on his altar table Mm -hmm. he would have a picture of reagan next to maharaji and he said, until I see them as the same, I won't really understand what love is. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I've, I remember being a, a young person hearing that and feeling like, wow, the truth of that.
1: Hey everyone, I'm back. It's Ragu and Mindrolling. And uh back with an old friend. We haven't actually this is strange, right? We haven't actually physically met ever. We just know each other. This is the beauty of the pandemic. One I mean, not many beauties, but this one is the fact that we can communicate and be together. In this fashion, I can't, you know, I've made so many great friends, you certainly being at the top of that list. Koshin Paley-Ellison, welcome. Thank you so much. So great to see you, Raghu. <laughs> um, so just, there's a, 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 not a question, it's more of a, like a statement that, uh, that requires a little bit of response. And that is, I've been working uh, with my friend Duncan Trussell. Uh, we've done a lot of talks around this thing that Krishnadas came up with that he, he, that he uh, centralizes in many of his uh, talks and these Thursday night things he does. It's called The Movie of Me. You wake up in the morning, you're the producer, the director, the chief protagonist – uh, the you 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 do it all, and it goes on twenty four seven. Is this movie, and that's core really to this? Uh, Koshin wrote this wonderful book called Untangled: uh, A Walking the Eightfold Path to Clarity, Courage, and Compassion. And that's central. Uh, that understanding uh, has to be there before you even take one mini step, right? And so, in in the course of working on this, going through our makeups and how it, how the uh, culture and education and family contributed to the entanglement that mm-hmm. we all find ourselves into, and then hopefully wake up. So, in the waking up, and we talk about the waking up in in, in these uh, chats and podcasts that we've done. Uh, that's going to be a uh, an audio book, hopefully next year. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, in the midst of it all, we we start to realize what Ramdas aptly named in this movie, "Becoming Nobody," from a few years ago, when he's he he was doing a talk and he suddenly just he sort of stopped dead and mm-hmm. and he went, "When is what you want enough? When is what you need?" Enough. It's much more interesting to serve, and that's like the core in my mind. It's the core of what I've been talking about with with Duncan. I talk. I mean, so many different people do I talk to on these podcasts, including uh, the likes of Mark Epstein, the Buddhist uh, psychotherapist. Uh, I do that to get a little free freebie <laughs> here and there. <laughs> uh So. Yeah, reaching out beyond oneself is Mm -hmm. both uh, the thing that we humans need to connect more to in in our lives, and it is, though, at the same time, the thing that does help get untangled in my mind. Mm -hmm. And I, I just really appreciate Koshin. I know the work you're you're doing. I follow. And uh, at least in a, in a general way, enough to say, as am I right or not? Is Ramdas right or not about the the actual reaching out is a profound effect, without and within, on the uh, you know to to the people that are around you and to your own involvement. Maybe speak to that because you the work. I mean. Just everybody, briefly, Koshin is out there doing social action consciously uh, I, in the style of, of uh, Roshi Burney, right? Who uh, just had this phenomenal way of uh, interaction uh, and, and having that, that uh, conscious center through it all. Yeah, you know, I
0: often think of you know I often think of Bernie often, and you know he's part Bernie of Bernie
1: Glassman. Life. Sorry, I, you know yeah. we're being a little too familiar here. Roshi Bernie Glassman, who passed a few years ago, was a tremendous yeah. human being, truly. And you know, just
0: always his also love of this quote of this wonderful teacher named Kobo Daishi. He said, "The depth of someone's awakening can be." Measured by how they're observing the world. Mm. And so very often we can get so self oriented. And there's mm. this incredible woman named Shindo Ayama Roshi, who's this great Zen teacher in Japan now. Oh. and she Always oh, is talking about we get in so much trouble with our self centeredness mm. and kind of as, as you were talking about with Krishna Das about that kind of the movie of my life, it's like that self orientation as opposed to like how am I helping and what's useful and not just for me, you know, or the me is so small, yeah, it's just so small. So, in, in thinking about the legacy of all the teachers before us and all the teachers with us now about this dedication and clarity of our vow. And to me, I was actually talking to one of the people on our board yesterday and she was saying, you know, what I love is not that you and Chodo are such beautiful teachers, but it's about what it's about. It's not a devotion to a particular person. It's a devotion to mission and serving the world. And that's what gets, you know, to me, that's where life force and liveliness comes from. So whether, you know, I was thinking about how, you know, for, I don't know, for a while, Chodo and I have been teaching in different medical schools and medical programs in in the United States and Japan for and just keep hearing the same message from these beautiful doctors who are just really suffering with highest rates of drug and alcohol abuse, of divorce, of suicide, Mm. and and you know, how do we listen first and really appreciate like the three tenets that Bernie Really brought forth which is of not knowing and so just like really listening and not assuming and listening to these doctors for all of these years and during the pandemic, you know, Chota and I and our friend Taroni Lodog, we got together and we said we have to do something to in a very thoughtful way mm-hmm. to help these physicians and so we created this Contemplative Medicine Fellowship, which is really about really bringing a group of physicians and nurse practitioners and physician assistants through this year long exploration of their own suffering mm-hmm. and to honor, you know, the nobility of their suffering because mm-hmm. they're doing such beautiful work and they became known as frontline workers and to really appreciate their suffering with themselves and really looking at how they suffer inside of themselves, as well as in their family relationships and friendships, which often suffer a great deal. And then, of course, how it works in their clinical work. And, you know, one of our fellows, you know, when she came, she was talking about, you know, she stopped looking at her patients maybe 20 years ago looking them in the eye. Really? Oh. And if you met her, she would, you would think she's like this wonderful, loving person, which she is. But she was in residency for OBGYN and she had to give the, this, these two parents news that their baby, who was at eight months in a pregnancy, uh, was dead. And she didn't know how to have that conversation. With them and she said that was the beginning of me looking away because I didn't know how to have a difficult conversation, and I realized how that's been eating me alive for all of these mm. years, and how me turning away from what's hard was also kind of self centered as opposed mm. to it. And she's like, What I'm learning in this fellowship is actually that oh, it's just that we can be in hard situations together. I don't have to have the solution. I can actually just be with you and say, wow, this is really hard and what needs to be said.
1: Mm. Wow. Yeah, and it's a good example of the, the way in which we, and particularly people in this walk of life, the way in which we feel like we need to defend ourselves so they can keep putting one foot in front of the others in the face of this tremendous uh, uh, crises and, and so on. So it it would appear to be a normal thing. And I would say, and, you know, I, I've read, of course, what's going on in this country now with uh, medical practitioners and the burnout. And, uh, yeah. yeah, so that's... Uh, Help some more people go on that yeah. level, jeez. But also at the same time, just can you self reflect? Oh, by the way, talk about you know the movie of me. The beauty of this term that the Tibetans have, self cherishing. I love that. You know, it's like oh, my, me, me, me. Yeah. Um, but uh, just turning inward to yourself, what do you see over these last years? Uh, in yourselves that has created more transformation Mm. regarding polarity, regarding fear, uh, all of the normal human things that we all go Mm. through Mm. related to the work that you've been doing, but the Mm. internal process.
0: Yeah, as polarity has continued, you know, of course, throughout this space of time, humans have gone through these different waves. And so we're in another wave. So I don't think it's a new thing, but it's uh, we're in this current wave of deep polarity and polarization. And what I found in myself is I also (laughs) was finding that I was feeling a little siloed in my thoughts about who was right and who wasn't right. And, And so I began to... Actually, I began. I think it was about 19 months ago. Have a practice. So after my morning meditation practice, I I sign on to this white supremacist website, and really? yeah, wow. And just for a few minutes, just to kind of what am I, and just to watch my mind, mm. and to and what I find is that it takes me about. Mm, a second or two, to have almost exactly the same polarized thoughts as I'm reading <laughs> yeah. on their website, you know, and against these people. And so it's so humbling to realize how the same we are from the people that we think we are so different from. And so it continues... To be so surprising almost every day. <laughs> mm. And so for me, it's a very humbling process to realize, like, wow, we are so similar that when it's so easy to find the enemy mm. and to Can- create convenient. an enemy.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: very convenient. Yeah, it so is that, for us all. that's been a huge process for me and really just deeply humbling and <laughs> really
1: challenging to read, you know, what <laughs> I, <laughs> What yes. people believe. Yeah. It doesn't take much imagining. We see it every day and through all the different media. And uh, at the same time as, and this is just my thought around it, at the same time as, as that is 100% true, for all of us, there is another truth around the reality of uh, education and the reality of ignorance that does take place in our society and Mm -hmm. not just on one side but certainly that is a truism and the Mm -hmm. refusal to accept facts, scientific facts, stuff like that. That's uh, the the, um, taking action Mm -hmm. to create a justice uh, has to be involved in the same moment that you are going on to the white supremacist <laughs> website and watching uh, one's mind. That's what I mean. Both of these things, I mean what I mean, that, that, that seems to be the reality. It's what Ramdas, of course, did his entire life. And and was constantly reminding people, you can't just go out there and think you're going to make change when when you're just absolutely becoming what you're what you're opposing, you know, screaming epithets in the whole nine yards.
0: Well, it reminds so, me, you know, when I was a kid, you know, my dad was the one who introduced me to Ram Dass, and oh really? Yeah, and we went to see him and i think reagan was the president at that time and you know ramdas was sharing that on his altar table mm-hmm. he would have a picture of reagan next to Maharaji. and he said until i see them as the same i won't really understand what love is mm-hmm. and <laughs> i f- i remember being a, a young Person hearing that and feeling like wow the truth of that Mm. and the courage of that to lift kind of our own hatred up and to put it on our altar Mm. and to the the figure of kind of light and the figure of what we perceive as darkness and Mm -hmm. to put them next to each other as and how in our work to really see them as equal Mm-hmm. is
1: very powerful. He kept, of course, he had Trump in the latter years on that puja, on that altar. And yes. uh, he and I, I'd say, really? I mean, I hear what you're saying, but there's no way I'm putting Trump on my altar, okay, Ram Dass? <laughs> And he would say, I'm not putting, I am sending love and good wishes to the soul that's beyond behind all of that really, he would say, really fucked up <laughs> incarnation. <laughs> Actually, Ram Dass wouldn't have used that. He would say, uh, unfortunate mm-hmm. incarnation that he has taken in this mm-hmm. life and to work out, you know, some really tough stuff. So and I said, all right, well, God bless. I'm not doing it. <laughs> uh, so uh untangled so here, I just want to read one sort of description of what this is uh, and so people uh, will immediately relate because this is all of us have this, no matter what mm. uh, and uh, it's under a chapter, Tangles of Our Own Making Well, I would say, actually when I think about that there's tangles that we're still working out from other incarnations, I suspect. There's tangles that uh, the formulation of them is extraordinary. When you, th- you know, I think of my parents and uh, teachers and teachers from Auschwitz, and you know, uh, there's a lot of tangles that are it, it entangles much more than one's own making. But the one of one's own making um, are, are pretty damn good. So. Uh, <laughs> The pain we feel is rooted in how tangled up we are. Many of us feel tangled by our fears, our resentments, and our stories about ourselves and others. The movie of me. We feel controlled by behaviors we can't change. Thoughts we can't stop. Feelings we don't want to feel. We feel tangled in confusion or in misperception or in traumas we haven't learned how to heal. Very key there. Living so tangled up contorts our bodies and we end up walking through life like the ministry of silly walks i love this analogy in the old monty python skit the ministry of silly walks really this reduces our availability to life to others and to our true selves very um succinctly put uh this is what we are dealing with and um so uh how about some first steps? I mean, it's very, as we all know, this is a, a very difficult thing. And um, and uh, one of the entanglements in going out there and taking those first steps and second steps on on, on the path to a transformation or an untanglement, um, one issue that crops up all the time is spiritual bypass that famous ubiquitous word but which is is as real as real gets because mm-hmm. of uh, the misperception so st- start there if you would
0: well raga i just so, so appreciate the kind of breadth of what you're laying out and yes you know what we can do our kind of our personal suffering to me is also part of of course the inherited you know and so from i think also the possibility is that we can be at one with all right this has been going on for a long time not just through me but through my great grandparents and i think we have similar family histories and Mm. Through that kind of collective trauma. And that is also part, of, that's also through me. I am experiencing that. And the possibility is that I can, I can take responsibility for what I can do. And yes, all of that's true. And how am I going to participate in that? And perhaps even make a difference. And so I think that, How do we become at one with what's difficult and hard Mm. is super important. How do we become at one with what is challenging? What is those kind of self limiting ideas of even what's mine and what's yours? And how do we step forward into our life? And so to me, it's also speaking of you know, the Holocaust, you know, I think that it's important. You know, one of the main teachers I had of that was my uncle Victor, who the book is actually dedicated to, uh-huh. who escaped
1: concentration camp. And how do you lit- escape a concentration I Wow, that must be yeah. a story on its own.
0: I could tell you the whole story. It takes about three hours, but oh, it's like, I see. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he, but it was it was so powerful. He lived with us for a period of time, and he would tell the story almost every day. So he would like oh, start really? the story, and like as it is very common in traumatic kind of events that people would have to keep retelling the story, oh. Oh. and very painful and heart wrenching and just wrenching story, mm. and. But he was really the first person that I knew who didn't try to pretend it was not hard. And he Mm. talked about the excruciating choices he had to make, which were like literally life and death for himself and other people. Mm. And how, yeah, just like the, the knot and the tangle of that And for me, it was like he was telling the story about what freedom costs and that it's not so clean. And so if we think about spiritual bypassing, I feel like he was such a powerful teacher that you have to be willing to talk about what's really hard in order to be free. And... He really helped me understand love in a different way, in that way that there's going to be really hard things that will happen. And to really love, we have to be willing to go through those really hard things to get there. Mm. And I think very often we kind of shy away from what's hard. So even the Four Noble Truths, which is really the frame of the book and Many of us want to go right to the Eightfold Path, like, oh, like, I want to get to that, like, the good part. Like, how is this, like, fun and, you know, or healing? And there's a reason why that the Buddha also laid out the first three of the four noble truths. And the first one is the nobility of our suffering, that, that our suffering, our tangles, our discomfort or distraction has to be honored Mm. and appreciated and recognized and moved into so that we can actually then get curious about what causes that you know the greed and anger and ignorance or you know our hatred and that then we can pivot so but i think that spiritual bypassing is so popular cuz we just want to not feel what we're feeling.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, or as you were speaking to it before, make a little bit of friends with discomfort, which is <clears throat> excuse me, one of the biggest issues around spiritual bypass. The unwillingness we all have. And and you you I I love this little uh nice there's some Cotions there's some really nice little aphorisms that you know just click you right away one of them is junk pleasure mm. so uh, i just look at the, the junk pleasure oh boy yeah <laughs> do we ever move towards that you know a stupid netflix series maybe or you right. know whatever um yeah talk about it a little bit um And it's really about the consequences of the way we tangled, tangled up in blue could have been the (laughs) title of this too. Yeah, I think that we often, you know,
0: move towards pleasure. I think there's always a movement, you know, towards healing, towards pleasure. But we often short shift ourselves and just go with what's easy and what's easily available yeah and so you know junk food or junk you know actually the the internet is primarily like i don't know 80 to 90 percent of the internet is used for porn like that we just don't (laughs) actually there's but to appreciate that like i found that statistic so interesting it's like oh we're going for pleasure but it's also we don't know how to have lasting pleasure, or what true pleasure even is, yeah. and how much of our day do we actually spend nourishing ourselves in a way that actually feels pleasurable?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And it's usually very little, you know. And so, to me, how interesting is that? And how do we? turn the light to where it isn't and to say, all right, you know, I'm running and I'm feeling so depleted and so lonely and so anxious all the time. And how can I just have a kind of a healthy embarrassment to how I'm functioning and learn how to do things in a fresh way?
1: Mm. Yeah. That's uh that really harks to what you were saying before, which really uh, I think everybody listening, we should pay attention to honoring. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's got to be the way that the door gets open to getting a little bit comfortable with discomfort mm-hmm. and maybe moving in that direction without uh, the kind of trepidation that we normally have because we, that's a habitual pattern. Junk pleasure is a habitual pattern, uh, and it, yes, it is totally exemplified. Netflix is not, you know, <laughs> but certainly the net, you know. And yeah, you, you, now you're you get notification. My uh, Apple Watch is notifying me. You this week you are up twenty two percent. I know, shit, really. Uh, but yeah, I really appreciate the idea of honoring this stuff so when i look at my watch and i see that i'm not going oh, okay i'm worst i'm absolutely the worst look at me you know stuck inside of uh of, of this uh, magic digital universe but it's okay i'm going no it's okay jack cornfield does a great thing by the way uh he it's basically, his, it's a mantra. It's kind of, it's okay to be human. It's okay. Yeah. Just look at us. Look at the way we look at these weird ears and, and this thing in the middle of our forehead and nose and then eating. Just watch yourself eating, stuffing this stuff in there, you know, or have sex. Maybe, you know, that's really weird, you know, but it's Okay. We're just human. And that, I always Mm -hmm. felt, it was parallel to what you just talked about in terms of Mm -hmm. honoring. It's okay.
0: Yes, I mean, it's so important just to realize our strangeness, right? And just to realize that things are hard. And Mm -hmm. I think that sometimes we back away from things being hard and weird as if they're not supposed to be. But life has hard moments, and as you're saying, like it's okay. And But the, to me, it's actually the place where we can forge our character in a, such important ways when things are hard. You know, like m- my husband just came home last night from having surgery, and mm. it was a hard night. You know, and... It would be easy to say, oh, I wish that it was different, you know, that I wish that, you know, this was not happening, but that wouldn't really be so helpful. But to me, the beauty is to say, oh, this is someone I love so much and how do I support them and being as comfortable as they can mm-hmm. and in a situation that is just not comfortable, <laughs> it just like wasn't comfortable.
1: Yeah. Oh well, well humbling yeah that's another big honoring the realization that uh, life in and of itself is very humbling and we are all bound as the Buddha said to deal with suffering and it's a reality Um, yeah so a lot of good helpful hints in here, Koshin, about untangling. That's, you know, it's right up my alley. Uh, So, there's one thing I think that's useful to talk about, um, which is hungry ghosts. Mm -hmm. So, there, you know, which is one plane of consciousness Mm -hmm. uh, that exists in all of us, one way or the other. And, um, uh, what I, th- there's uh, you talk about? Uh, I guess in Zen, the uh, ceremony called the Gate of Sweet Nectar. Mm. So uh, Krishnadas and Bernie were Glassman were, were Roshi Glassman were good friends, and uh, he tells this story much better than I could ever tell it. But just the basic thing is, he wanted to, to put some music to some of the words of the ceremony, mm-hmm. and uh, Krishnas was felt it was that was a daunting thing, you know, <laughs> for him to do. But something did come to him, and it's 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 funny. I I'm sh- maybe you have heard it, but it turned into a Hanuman Chalisa. Mm-hmm. So there was the opening uh, phrases in English that I am sure come from the, the... Well, they are from the Gate of Sweet Nectar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I never... Uh, I never got that, that the actual... Um, the, G- the Gate of Sweet Nectar uh, and the ceremony was a, a way to feed what, what is a hungry ghost. Mm. And so Hungry Ghosts, Lost Spirits, and of course, what it, the exoteric thing, but um, it, you talk about it's a compassionate feeding of our inner demons with care to reduce their pain. That's Let's uh, dissect that one. Mm.
0: Yeah. I love that chant, actually, that. You Know Krishna Das put together, it's yeah. very beautiful. And yeah. you know, part of it starts with calling out to all yeah. hungry hearts. Yeah. And so, just I love that it's just so inviting mm. to call out to all hungry hearts, which we all so it's a saying that, oh, we all are like this. And yeah. the beauty of the hungry ghosts, you know, there's a story that I've always loved very much where. Someone's brought in one room to like just show someone around. And in this room are all these hungry ghosts. And they have these little necks and these long arms. (laughs) And they're at this banquet, this incredible banquet. And they can't, and they have boards tied to their arms so they can't bend their elbows. And there's all this beautiful food in front of them. And there's just suffering because they can't feed themselves. And they're just like, you know, like we are, you know, when we feel like we're not getting what's right in front of us and what's so close. And the person said, what's this room? And like, well, this is hell, you know. And then they go into another room, which is identical, except the hungry ghosts are reaching across the table and feeding the other person across from them. Mm. So the same boards are tied to their arms, but they're thinking about others. So that ceremony is also about calling out all hungry hearts. It's also like saying, yes, I I recognize the hungry heart in you and how do we nourish each other? And so to me, it's also about how we show up in a loving way for each other. And... You know, I think that's such a wonderful way to reflect even in our relationships and our, everywhere in our life, we can actually take a look at how am I doing? You know, am I nourishing the people in my life or am I kind of getting self-centered? Am I thinking about how can I feed you
1: and how can I take care of you? Yeah, it all returns to the same topic that we started with, you know, mentioning Ramdas. When is it enough what you need or want? Uh, yeah. And by the way, uh, this, you know, as you recited some of the words, and of course, I know it extremely well, having worked with Krishna all these years. Uh, and for me to, it's, it's I, I just look at myself and go, "Wow, you never connected with hungry ghosts, feeding hungry ghosts." As to what this prayer is about, are you serious? <laughs> and then I think, I got, and then I think, okay, what really happened there? This, this is just thoughts while you were talking about it, and I thought, you know. I got so carried by the e- emotional impact of the of his melody with the words, and mm-hmm. it carried me into whatever I guess I needed in the moment of clearing, uh, as a prayer would do. Mm-hmm. That I, I didn't need to really connect with it in terms of its ultimate big picture. As to, you know what this is, and and that's okay. And I think for all of us, whatever you get out of any one teaching, prayer, or whatever it may be, kirtan, uh, it's all good. You know, and that's you know, we don't need to beat ourselves up about it. Which I was just starting to do, <laughs> and then you caught it. Yeah, and then I caught it. Yeah. Well, if I can't catch you here sitting with you, I'm. Lost, <laughs> and then it can be found. Yes, that's the beauty, right? Yeah. That is the beauty of the human condition. We can always return. We yes. can always. Return. Sharon talks about Sharon Salisbury talks about that a lot. Uh, so another thing that I think can help uh, people is uh, just the relationship. Uh, uh, it's funny because we have uh, a retreat. We're going to, we continue the retreats in Maui uh, at, at the end of the year and, and the end of November into December we've been doing mm-hmm. and they're continuing because I don't know, he's around Ramdas, uh as we go through and uh, it's uh, everyone's living in that one heart that's beyond bodies and all that. Uh, but this year, we are going to talk about relationship. The theme of it is relationship, interconnectivity, and interbeing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you're you're. Oh, by the way, uh, and this is in the book. And you talk about you know you working with um, a therapist and so on. This and this is a suggestion from me. I'm lucky because I can talk to Mark Epstein, another <laughs> psychotherapist. So uh, that's just a fortunate part, offshoot of the job. But it, <laughs> it, if we're talking about spiritual bypass and the ways in which we won't uh, allow ourselves to uh, show up and use the spiritual path as a way of kind of around it, therapy is an important thing and can really help. Uh, Ram Dass used to say, of course, uh, when people asked him about therapists, he would... Is it worthy of a practice? And he'd say, "Yeah, as long as the therapist doesn't think he's a therapist, you're right. good." <laughs> um, but um, yeah, yeah uh, uh, relationship and and how you have been dealing with that part of which is central to our lives. You know, I think that it's like that beautiful
0: story of the tea master and this uh, academic who comes to see this Japanese tea master comes to mind where he wanted to ask him about Zen and what it's all about. And the tea master just kept pouring the water in the teacup until it (laughs) overflowed. And I think that very often we are like that academic, you know, where he was like, have you gone crazy? Like, what are you doing? The water's getting everywhere. It's like, I'm showing you your mind. And so to me, asking for help, you know, you're talking about going to therapy or being with a teacher. And it's so wonderful to empty our cup and to be in relationship. And I think that I agree that the therapist I admire and the teachers that I really feel inspired by are people where the, their cup is also not full and mm-hmm. that they're just kind of walking with people and realizing it's just the path itself, that it's not about how much I know, but about how much I can be and have the interest to be with you and to be interested in how it is to be
1: you. Yeah. 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 That's... Uh, and that's so rare. It's so rare. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I've, I've yeah. only been talking about Mark Epstein in the beginning. He's a rare one. That's mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, but there, there are many great ones, and, and particularly uh, the combo uh, emanating from Buddhist um, philosophy practice uh, married to... Psychotherapy, Uh, yeah. If you can get, I mean, they're not easy to find. It's one thing, but it's they're overworked these days because of what's gone on. You know, that's why there's a a a wonderful offering, uh, and they're huge now. BetterHelp. You can go online. You know, they're Mm -hmm. one of our sponsors at the Be Here Now Network. Uh, I'd love for you to tell. So, courage. Is a very important thing, Maharaji said to Krishnadas once, and uh, and the Indian devotee who was translating, who was a long time devotee of Nimkaroli Baba, said, "Well, wait. This is the path of, of uh, you know, Guru Yoga, Guru's grace. Because if you're saying courage is a very important thing, you're implying a doing." Something coming from, emanating from inside yourself. So he said this to Maharaji. Well, no, Maharaji, blah, blah, blah. Maharaji looked at Krishnas again and he pointed and he said, Courage is a very important thing. So he said it twice to him and it's, it has saved him in, his, in moments of, of real crises in his life. That has been there, you know, it's a very, very fortunate. And so you, uh, it's called dewdrop. Uh, this little chapter uh, do I, I don't think I need to prompt you anymore about being in the hospital and, and that whole experience with the family yes. with somebody who is dying can you tell, I mean it's just a fantastic story and it leads to mm. I mean and certainly centers around fear and the fear that we all have mm. but what you say after you tell this story is, is we forget to take risks mm. And I think that's super importantly uh, mm. important. Can you tell the story, though? Yeah. So I was
0: on call at the hospital as a clinician. And I don't know, three in the morning, I was paged. And I had to go in um, to the emergency department. And in the emergency department, behind one of those curtains, mm. was a family. and the one member of the family was in the bed very, very uh kind of shrunken person kind of curled up almost like a fern like mm-hmm. uh like a fiddlehead fern almost kind of curled up in himself mm-hmm. And the family were pressed up against the curtain as if like it was a wall. You know, they were just as far away as possible from this man. And it was the family and he was the father and the wife and the kids were there. And all of them, you know, you know, clearly had woken up in the night and he had a medical emergency. Or so it was called. And, and he was muttering something and I said, oh, what is he saying? And they said, oh, we don't know. So I went very close to him and, Mm. and what he was saying was, hold me, hold me, hold me, hold me. It was so haunting. And beautiful and clear. And I said, Oh, he wants to be held. And they said, Oh, well, no, 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 we're not gonna do that. And so I said, Well, I'll do that if we if you kind of all make some contact with me. So you can hold my hand or you know, touch my shoulder, and so that we all can be in contact here. And so I just kind of got down close to him in the bed and put my arm around him and he's like, more, more, mm. more. And climbing into the bed with him and experiencing and just kind of enveloping him. And this is definitely not, wasn't my training. I just felt like that that's just what he was asking for and it felt so human. Mm. and strangely ordinary and holding him as he finally said thank you and then he died and uh, mm. and it's just that you know it was so powerful and such and what was being asked for was so simple And how we so forget what is most needed is putting our hand on someone's shoulder, embracing them when they need an embrace. Like that often what's helpful and needed is so ordinary, holding someone, going down if they're having trouble speaking and leaning in. And how often we forget What's most necessary is just our loving attention, mm. and then, so, yeah. and okay. allowing the action to flow from that loving
1: mm. attention. Yeah, mm. it's so right on. Uh, and I'll, I'll add to it from from the book. Uh, We forget to be curious about how another person is feeling and about what we're feeling, not as something to resist or act out on, but as something to hold with compassion Mm -hmm. and be curious about. That's how we allow more tenderness, tenderness and new possibilities. So when we're not caught by the feeling that we can actually be there, be here now, how can you practice widening out so that, you can feel your feelings and expand. How are more than your feelings? How do you reflect on this? When we engage new possibilities and new actions, things can change. Something new can happen, like the dewdrops we find on the thousands of tips of grass in the morning. Mm. And that, to me, that that this whole section is courage
0: totally you know and that you know that i've always appreciated and my training with japanese teachers and their their value of do because it doesn't last very long you know Mm -hmm. and it's so beautiful it's so fresh and so gorgeous Mm -hmm. and then it's gone and so like we it's like our lives you know and that we can really appreciate that dewdrop awareness of the preciousness
1: and the exquisiteness mm-hmm. of each moment. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful analogy. My God. Um, all of this, and, and this is something I talk about a, a lot, either in podcasts or when we do these retreats and so on, uh, is perspective and you talk about it as well and everything that we have been discussing and that you've been um elucidating about is part of a perspective that allows for the entanglement to happen Mm -hmm. is in my view and uh like uh Ramdas is loving awareness, moving mm. yourself into a heart space or you know whatever mm. uh we had so, he had so much fun with all the Buddhist friends that we had to teach with him and anybody said anything like soul and you look at them, sorry about that, and they laugh you know they had such a good time uh, <laughs> but uh, loving awareness in the in the in the soul land of the center of your chest mm-hmm. and that perspective is what he was uh, championing for many years t- till the end of his life because uh, from that perspective you are not sitting as the judge of every thought emotion and dark whatever and mm-hmm. without that there you there's no going out the starting gate mm-hmm. uh, whatsoever and so uh yeah just a little bit about uh, right perspective, which is part of the eightfold path.
0: Mm. Yeah. It's just so important to look at how we turn away, you know, oh. and right perspective or perspective, even as a practice is to, again, kind of that, the other theme we have of just being humble, like, Oh, I forgot again. Mm. I fell down again. I got distracted and I'm back. And to me, the beauty of really learning how to say, I'm continuously learning how to be loving, how to be wise. I mean, to me, the whole eightfold path is about you know ethics and our actions and compassion and wisdom. And so how do we get back up into that and to realize, to me, the joyousness of realizing how foolish we are, <laughs> how how we can get so caught up in, you know, crap. Kind of going back to the junk pleasure, it's like we get caught up and we forget and we're like, oh, I didn't really look at your face, you know, I was just getting distracted and to just appreciate that. To me, it's like that healthy embarrassment is so important to be foolish and mm. joyfully foolish. You know, and I often, you know, recommend to myself and my students just to be, you know, dumb and dumber, just to like <laughs> be more and more foolish so that you can just fall down and get up. And it's about what happens when we get up, when we realize, when we see that perspective of like, wow, I was really not intimate there. I was really far away. Mm. And I'm here now.
1: Mm. What do you call it? Foolish embarrassment? uh, Healthy embarrassment. Healthy
0: embarrassment. (laughs) <laughs> like it's good to have a good dose of healthy embarrassment because it's embarrassing, you know, like right. we do such crazy yeah. things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's Absolutely. healthy to actually realize we do lots of foolish things. Mm-hmm. And to me, actually, that's why it's like a healthy embarrassment. Like it's actually healthy to be embarrassed. My goodness, I was a total idiot there. I was unkind or i was distracted and self-interested and yeah. yeah
1: yeah and yeah.
0: not to make such a big deal about it
1: yeah it's okay to be human as Jack keeps <laughs> saying it's okay uh this has been great caution so uh everybody when is the book uh untangled going to be available november 8th uh-huh Okay, so this will probably come out around then or something, this episode of Mind Rolling. So uh, everybody, of course, we will have the uh, link-ups in the show notes. Go to com slash Mind Rolling and this book. And uh, this is not – and we'll – you know, there's uh, – how many books do you have now? Is this I know of a couple. It's the third one. Third yeah. one, yeah. yeah. So we'll make sure they're there. We'll make sure. You know, we got to make sure is that a link to Krishna Das's, um, uh oh, beautiful Bernie uh, recita- uh, recitation rather uh, of uh, that beautiful prayer that we talked about mm. earlier. Uh, yes. That we should everybody whoever's looking at doing the show notes here, can you please hook that up too uh and uh this uh there so there's one quote uh here in the in the book you have you know a lot of lovely different uh, quotes, but mm-hmm. this one reached out to me mm-hmm. unlikely um Person, as far as I'm concerned, who I don't know that well, of course I know of, Virginia Woolf. Mm-hmm. Okay. And she said, You are too serious, Orlando, and yet not serious enough. Mm-hmm. That is a fantastic statement, right? I mean, for uh, uh, one, the great thing is uh, without a sense of humor about our humanness and everything else, it's things are way too, uh, the self-interest mounts like, you know, a gigantic heap of, you know what. Uh, And yet to just laugh it all off is bullshit, is uh, is the old bypass, right? Mm -hmm. So she really got that. That is really. It's so beautiful. You know, like to take responsibility
0: could be also joyful and humbling. And also, to me, it actually makes us more
1: connected to the world. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. And that is all part and parcel to a perspective, right perspective. That is absolutely. so important. So great work, man. <laughs> it's always wonderful it. to be with you, Raghu. Yeah, same here. everybody. This is Mind Rolling on Be Here Now Network. Go to com slash Mind Rolling. And everybody else who's there, a lot of our mutual friends, Koshin and I, from Sharon Salzberg to Joseph Goldstein. I did a podcast with Joseph. My, and my son just loves, you know, he works for the foundation, Noah, and he loves to be able to hang out with, you know, he's a real Joseph, uh, Joseph devotee. And it was just a wonderful uh, uh, podcast. Uh, Joseph, Joseph is a, such a mensch. Biggest mensch I know, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, so yeah, plenty of mensches on Be Here Now Network. And we'll see you all next week. Thank you. Thank you, good.